0: Father, Lord, we thank you so much for just your amazing love and your grace and, Lord, your forgiveness upon us, Lord Jesus. We, we are so undeserving of that, and yet, Lord, you poured upon our lives. And, Father, I pray this morning, Lord, that we would understand that that character does matter. And, Lord, um, that we as believers need to live a life of, of integrity and honesty. And Father, Lord, that others would see that we are people of good standing. And so, Father, Lord, I pray that you would minister to our hearts. Uh, Bless those who are here. Bless those who are listening online. Bless those who are on their way to the second service. Bless our time together. Bless our Spanish service at 2 p.m. And Lord, I decrease that you would increase. I am to myself of myself, so fill me with yourself, that everything that I say and do every thought that enters my mind be of you and not of me. Praise in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen. So if you have your Bibles or Bible app, turn to Proverbs chapter 22. We're now in part 23 of our series, Wisdom That Works. Say that, Wisdom That Works. Again, Proverbs chapter 22. And as always, you know this right before we even dive into the text, I want to do a quick review from last week's text. If you were here, it was chapter 21. And I gave you three points, and the first point, you might remember this, right, is God examines the heart. Say that. And that's in verses 1 through 19, and Solomon begins by speaking about the way God directs the affairs of man, the affairs of who's in power, and that no human ruler is ultimately supreme, and the only supreme one is who? God. Because he's sovereign. Say, sovereign. And then Solomon says, people may think that they're doing what's right, but God examines The heart, and to do what is right and just, to obey, say, obey, is more acceptable to God than sacrifice. And then Solomon says the distinguishing marks of the wicked is sin. It's sin. And then that wealth attained by lying and by cheating is a short lived attainment. And he says, what the wicked have done to others will return upon their own head, and that the path we walk will display who we are. And then what Solomon does, he then stresses, Uh, The misery caused by an argumentative, nagging, annoying wife. And then he says, if we ignore the needs and the cries of the poor, our needs and our cries would be ignored. Then Solomon says, to forsake wisdom is to forsake life itself and to end up with the dead. Wow. And if luxuries of life are loved beyond proper measure, he says it's a pathway to poverty. Then he says it's tough. Say tough. It's tough to live with anyone who is contentious and angry. The second point was the way of the wise. Say that. The way of the wise, and that's in verses 20 through 29. And the wise person is conservative. He's saying the wise person is conservative with what they have gathered. In other words, they prepare for the future. And then he says, whoever pursues righteousness, and I love this, whoever pursues righteousness, seeks righteousness and love, will find life, prosperity, and honor. And he says, wisdom provides strength and security, which can overcome any physical advantage. He says, if we keep our mouths shut, right, if you and I, if we keep our mouths shut, we will, it will save you and I, listen now, you and I, a lot of trouble. And on the other hand, the wise, he says, the wise person listens carefully, repeats accurately, and speaks truthfully. And the third point was victory belongs to God. Say that. More enthusiasm, victory belongs to God. That's verses 30 to 31. And, and I love this portion of Scripture It's amazing. It says, there's no wisdom, no insight, no plan. Do you get that? No wisdom, no insight, no plan that can, what, succeed against the Lord. And so it declares the absolute supremacy and sovereignty of God that no 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 human ingenuity can overcome him. Then he says this, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests in or with the Lord. In other words, a nation, he's saying, may mount an impressive arsenal of weapons But victory, say victory, doesn't depend exclusively upon weapons. Victory rests with God. Amen? This now brings us to today's text. The title of my message is Character. Say that. Character, character. Three points if you already say yes. Number one is this. Number one is a good name. Say that. Write that down, a good name. We're going to look at verse 1 here. And Solomon writes this, he says, A good name is more desirable than great riches to be esteemed as better than silver or gold. Don't you love that? This is coming from the richest man in the Bible. He's saying this that a good name is more desirable than riches, than great riches to be esteemed as better than silver or gold. A good name, a good reputation, being well respected is to be valued, it's to be pursued. It's to be chosen over the desire of having great wealth. So here's the lesson. We're going to jump right into the lesson. Are you ready? This is it. Character matters. It does. Character does matter, right? Now, I want you to write this down. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 1a. And Solomon, who wrote Ecclesiastes, right? We know this. Same author, okay, of Proverbs. In 7.1, he writes this. A good name is better than fine perfume. You guys get that? A good name is better than fine perfume. A good name is that which, he's saying, that which has influence and character. It changes lives. It it speaks volumes. A good name, in other words, a person of integrity and godly character, a person of good character gives off a better aroma than perfume or cologne. And Solomon's saying your perfume, your cologne, whatever it is, it's going to eventually wear off. It won't last. What really matters, what really lasts, what really counts is godly character. What counts is integrity. That's what's going to last. Now listen, church, that, that's, that's all we really have. My daddy told me all the time, Arnold, your integrity, your character, that's all you have. That's all you have is your character and your integrity, and that's all that we really have. Ladies, ladies, listen now. Your perfume may attract for a while. Men, your cologne may attract for a while, but it's a good name, a good reputation, integrity, character that endures. Listen, at your funeral, whenever that's gonna happen, people aren't going to remember you for what you had or how well you dressed or how nice you smelled. They're going to remember you for who you were. Really? In chapter 10 of Proverbs, verse 7, you might remember this. This is a powerful verse, chapter 10, verse 7. Solomon says, the memory of the righteous will be a blessing. Did you get that? The memory of the righteous will be a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. The message renders it like this. A good and honest life, did you get that? A good and honest life is a blessed memorial. A wicked life leaves a rotten stench. In other words, this is the bottom line. What what it's saying is that a good name can live beyond the grave. Right? Live beyond the grave. So question, do you have a good name? Think about that. Do you have a good name? Not a cool name, okay? Not a cool name, but, but a good name. And when someone mentions your name, what do they say about you? When they mention your name, what do they say about you, about your character? What do they say about your reputation? How is your reputation at work, in the neighborhood, at school, at church, at home, in the community? Are you a person of integrity? Are you an inspiration and a godly example to others? You see, how you live determines how you are known. Now, I want you to write this down, Job chapter 1, verse 1. Job 1, verse 1. And I I always share this verse with my kids. It says, in the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. Say, Job. Then it says this, this man, speaking of Job, this is amazing. This man was blameless and upright, feared God, and shunned evil. You guys get that? Whose name was Job? This man was blameless, upright, feared God, and shunned evil. So let's look at that. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This was a man. This man was blameless. He blameless. That word blameless means no hidden secrets, no skeletons in the closet, no surprises, no surprises. And, and he was, Job was a man of integrity, sincerity, and consistency. Then it says, and upright. He was also upright. In other words, morally upright, honest. He had a good relationship with man. And he says he feared God. In other words, he lived with a devout reverence for who God is, which developed in him a sensitivity to sin and a hatred for it. Therefore, and it says, and he shunned evil. Get that? In other words, he turned away from evil. He turned away from sin. He wanted no part of it in his life. What a reputation. Right? What character Job had. If you're safe, say amen. God wants, listen now, God wants others to look at our lives and say he or she walks with God, for he or she lives like Christ. Listen, the way we live should matter. It should matter. Characters should matter, especially if you and I call ourselves Christians. Christians. Oswald Chambers said this, character in the Christian means the disposition of Jesus Christ persistently manifested. I love that. Daniel Webster said this, the most important thought I ever had was that of my individual responsibility to God. If you're safe, say amen we have a responsibility to live our lives in a responsible way that reflects godly character. I'm talking to you Christians, right? We're talking to ourselves here, right? It's better to be good than to smell good. It's better to have character than to be popular. It's better to live with integrity than to be rich. Why? Because it matters to God, and it should matter to us. And sadly, we know this, right? In today's culture, given the choice between a good reputation and a million dollars, many people would prefer the money. Character, say character. Character is no longer important. It's an attribute that is becoming extinct in our culture. And the philosophy is as long as you look good and as long as you feel good, as long as you smell good, that's all that really matters. That's what culture says. The top desire, the top priority and focus is on external things, what we look like from the outside. Now, I want to say this. There's nothing wrong with wanting to look good or smell good, but it's wrong when that becomes our main focus. Follow me. Our physical, our physical impression on others is not unimportant, but it should be less important than our character and integrity. Can I get amen? Listen, church, nothing is more important, nothing is more valuable to an individual than the character behind his or her name. And I pray that when someone mentions your name, they say, wow, what a godly man, what a godly woman, what a man of integrity, what a woman of integrity, what a man or a woman of good character. Because character matters. Amen, Christians? Say a good name. Number two is general guidance, and that's what Solomon does. He gives us some general guidance here. I want you to follow me, verses two and three. General guidance, and he says, rich and poor, verse two, rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is, what? The maker of them all. Let's read that again. Rich and poor have this in common. Say in common, the Lord has made, what is the maker of them all? The point is this, God made all of us whether we're rich or poor, right? In other words, whether we're rich or poor, we, sh- we share the same creator and subject to the same sorrows, same illnesses, same temptations, and we all have the choice to do what's right and to live right, and we will ultimately, say ultimately, answer to God. This could also mean that salvation is available to all people and that God doesn't determine a person's worth by their bank account. Amen? Verse three, a prudent man, that word prudent means a a person with good sense, good judgment, sees danger and takes refuge. And this is a person who recognizes sin and stays away from it. Did you get that? Recognizes sin and stays away from it. No one knew that judgment was coming, so what did he do? He entered the ark, right? Lot knew judgment was coming, so he fled the city. And and the Jews were told to stay in their homes, and the death angel, what? Passed over. If you're safe, say amen. You and I, we have to do whatever needs to be done to avoid sin. Like a hurricane warning, we we flee from the storm. I want you to write this down. Chapter 14 of Proverbs, verse 16a. 14, chapter 14, verse 16a. Solomon says, the wise, say the wise. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Woo. You get that? He says, a prudent man, one with good sense and judgment, sees danger and takes refuge, refuge. but the simple, in other words, the unaware, the gullible, the fooled one, keep going and suffer for it. In other words, they they, they walk right into trouble. So you ready for the lesson? Be aware of traps the devil sets. Be aware of traps the devil sets sets. And, and, and avoid them. I mean, this is where wisdom comes in, right? Discernment comes in, knowing that that's not, that's the devil, man. And you avoid that. We need to be watchful. We need to be sober-minded. We need to be alert, as the Word of God says, right? We need to be vigilant and recognize what the enemy is putting in front of us and avoid it. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, you might know this by heart, It says, be alert and sober mind, of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's out to get you. He's out to get you. Are you guys with me? And he will put things in front of you to make you stumble, to take you away from God. And we need to recognize his traps, the traps he sets up, and avoid them. Can someone say amen? Avoid them. Verses 4. Through eight Verse four, humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth and honor and life. Did you get that? Wealth, honor, and life. Listen, those two, humility and the fear of the Lord are connected for a reason. So follow me here. Say humility. Humility is a proper view of ourselves. I need God. I'm not God. I'm sinful, right? Okay. And the fear of the Lord, say the fear of the Lord is a proper view of God. He's God. He's holy. He's just. He's worthy. And these two qualities lead to spiritual riches, honor, and the abundant life. When I I come to grips with who I am, and I need God daily, and I'm not God, and He's God, and He's amazing, and I need to revere Him, friends, guess what? It leads to spiritual riches, honor, and the abundant life. Amen? Verse 5, in the paths of the wicked lie thorns and snares. I want to stop there. These are metaphors for the hard way of the wicked. The hard way of the wicked. Their evil lifestyles expose themselves to dangers. But, he says, but, there's a contrast. He, I love this, he who guards his soul, right, stays far from what? Them. Them. In other words, being disciplined in God's wisdom keeps you and I, us, safe from these kinds of dangers. Love that. It keeps us on the path to safety and truth. Got it? It guards our soul. Verse six: train a child in the way he or she should go. And when he he or she is old, he or she will not depart from it. Now, I want to point out, and you've heard me say this, we did two baby dedications in this past month, this month. And I want to point out that this is not a promise. It's a principle, okay? God, it's a principle. And this explains the heartbreaking truth why some parents faithfully raise their children to follow God, and yet they rebel against God as adults. And we see that all the time, right? I have two who are rebelling against God this time. Now, Now, the phrase, Train a child in the way he or she should go is one word in Hebrew. It's the word hanak. Say hanak. Okay, it's H-A-N-A-K, hanak. It means to stimulate the taste buds. So the ultimate way to train your child is to stimulate your child's taste buds for God when they are young so that when they are older, they will have a thirst and a hunger for God and the things of God. Got it? To train a child in the way he or she should go could also mean train your child according to his or her, listen now, particular way. In other words, you ought to be looking for your children's strengths, your children's talents, abilities, giftedness, and teach them how to make the most of them. Got it? In other words, if your child is good with numbers or or good with science that encourage him or her in those areas. If your child is good with people, right, good social skills, then seek seek to see those develop further in their lives. If your child has strengths in creative artistic things or strengths in sports, then help them develop those areas. Got it? You need to study your kids and see how God has gifted them and lead them that way. Now, listen, parents, godly parenting is so essential, especially in today's culture. Can I I get amen? I need a witness, right? Fathers and mothers, say fathers, say mothers. Listen, fathers and mothers are the key to raising godly young men and godly young women who love God and live for God. Now, I want to tell you something, parents, listen up. Regardless of the blessing that pastors and youth leaders, and Sunday school teachers, and other godly influences are, no one can replace the role of a godly parent. Godly parents who live out their Christian faith and pass it on to their children. Amen? And you need to trust that as you raise your child, as you're raising your children with the Word of God, through the Word of God, the right values in the right perspective, when you teach them those things, those lessons will last a lifetime. Amen? It's your responsibility. Let me tell you, parents, he didn't call you to be their friend. He called you. God called you to be their parent. Can I get an amen? Now, I'm going to say this because I, I'm, I'm right here. I, I have children. Some of you here have wayward a wayward child or wayward children. I have two. And it's painful. And you've raised them in the ways of God, and you taught them to be God-fearing, but they've strayed, they've rebelled against God and the things of God, so we need to pray for them and love them, amen, and pray for them that they would come to their senses just like the prodigal son. And, Lord, I pray that they would come to their senses, Lord, and realize that they need to come back to you. So don't give up, right, and don't beat yourself up. Just pray for them. Pray for them. Amen? Verse 7. The rich ruler over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. And Solomon's point is this, is when someone takes a loan, the lender rules over them. That's it, pretty much. Much as a master would uh, rule over a slave. So we need to be wise in our purchasing. Be careful, okay? Verse 8. He who sows wickedness reaps trouble, and the rod of his fury will be destroyed. This is a reoccurring theme we see all the time in Proverbs, right? The evil that the wicked do will ultimately, what, return to them. Someone say amen to that. The seeds of their wickedness will bring a harvest of trouble, a harvest of sorrow, and their power for doing evil will ultimately, ultimately be destroyed. The rule of evil people over this world will one day end. Right? And the Lord will see to it. Verse 9. A generous man will himself be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. Now, if you're saved, say amen. Come on, say amen. We need, if we're saved, we need to be generous. Right? We need to be generous. We are to have a heart and a concern for the less fortunate. In chapter 19, verse 17 of Proverbs, chapter 19, verse 17. Solomon says, he who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward him for what he has done. So God rewards those who who show compassion to the poor. And what he does, he promises that we will never be the loser for generous and compassionate giving. With that being said, let me ask you this. Is there someone you know, perhaps in the neighborhood, perhaps a family member, perhaps someone at work, someone you know who you can bless this Thanksgiving or this Christmas. You know someone's in need. You know that they perhaps might need a turkey or their kids might need gifts. I don't know. If you know somebody that's in need, then bless them. Be generous. Reach out to them in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? So you finds the one do that. Verses 10 through 14, if you're still with me, say amen. Verse 10, drive out the mocker and out goes strife. Quarrels and insults are ended. This is, you know what, this is a person, this is a person with a critical, negative spirit. Huh? This person is set on disagreeing, complaining, complaining, griping, always negative. And you know what Solomon says? Solomon says, drive them out. What he says. Don't fellowship with them. Don't fellowship with someone who is always looking to find something wrong. You know, someone like that? I mean, you you, you know someone like that, right? I mean, they're always looking for the negative. You can have such a you know, you have you, oh, I just did my floor in the home and it's so beautiful. And they say, Well, what's wrong with that? I don't like that, it doesn't look right. I mean, they're always looking for the negative, right? They always find something wrong. Listen, tolerating someone like that is not a wise choice. Now, if you're a critical, negative person with a critical, negative spirit, ask God to change you, right? Ask him to show you the good things in others and listen now, and the good things in every situation. Got to be careful. If you're around a negative, critical person, you will become like them eventually. Yeah? Verse 11. He who loves a pure heart and whose speech is gracious will. Have the king for his friend. Man, that, that's that's a really interesting verse. In other words, a pure heart and a gracious speech are marks of a godly wise person, which at times could get them into places of high honor. So he's saying, or make friends in high places. Question are, are you know, looking are you looking for a friend? Then 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 be a friend. And not only be a friend, but work at developing a pure innocent heart. Stay away from things that would poison your heart. Work at saying kind things to others. Because we all need a friend, don't we? We all need friends, a friend who can advise us and who could pray for us and who could encourage us. Verse 12. The eyes of the Lord keep watch over knowledge, but, say but, he frustrates the words of the unfaithful. So this is what Solomon's saying here is that God watches over the one who has knowledge of him and who walks in God's ways because God is a guardian of truth. I love that. In other words, God preserves his truth. On the other hand, God overthrows the unfaithful, and God will not stand nor support their faithless words. You guys with me? Verse 13. The sluggard, listen what the sluggard says. Listen what the lazy person says. There's a line outside, or I will be murdered in the streets. Huh? And you notice that Solomon, when Solomon writes about the lazy, slothful person, he usually uses humor, doesn't he? Right? The lazy person finds an excuse not to work. Always, he or she's got excuse-itis. Right? Always find an excuse. They exaggerate, the, and also they exaggerate the dangers outside the door, like this guy. And by the way, lions don't, don't roam in the streets. They roam in the forest and the wilderness, All right? I, I, I can't go to work because I might get hurt. There might be a lion out there. Well, that's just foolishness. You're making excuses. Verse 14, the mouth of an adulteress is a deep pit. Now, I want to stop there because seductive speech is used to lure Right and trap the man bent on adultery. Now remember what Solomon said back in chapter seven, verse twenty-one, and we covered that. We talked about the adulterous woman, the immoral woman. Chapter seven, verse twenty-one. It says, "With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her what? Smooth talk. You get that? In other words, her seduction was successful. An immoral woman." will catch you with the things, she says, to entice you, right? Oh, you're so strong. You're so strong. You're a married man, and you're at work, and this guy at work says, oh, you're so strong. How about she says this? Oh, I wish my husband would listen to me like you listen to me. Be careful. That's smooth talk. Are you with me? And he says this: He who is under the Lord's wrath will fall into it. In other words, God will allow the one who falls into temptation to fulfill their heart's lust, but they will be judged by God. Right? Hebrews thirteen four. Hebrews thirteen four. And I always quote this verse when I do my marriage ceremonies. It says, "Marriage is honorable among all, in that the bed and the bed undefiled." And in the bed, uh, bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Got it? Verse 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but say, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. So this is evidence that our children will naturally sin without being taught, right? They, they do they sin without being taught how to do it, okay? And this is. Our nature inherited from who? Adam and Eve, the fall of man. And foolishness in the inner person is human nature. It's there. I mean, right? I mean, we're saved, but we got this old nature still creeping up. And this speaks of, of self will, waywardness. It's bound up, rooted, and firmly fixed. And it must be dealt with through discipline, right? Discipline. You didn't got to teach your kids to sin or do wrong. They just did it, right? Listen, godly, biblical, loving discipline. Now, listen, parents, not a beating, not a beating. I know sometimes you want to, but not a beating. But discipline shapes a person's character, right? Now, to ignore foolishness, to ignore evil, to ignore sin is to encourage its continuation in your kid's life. Chapter 29, verse 5 of of Proverbs, and we'll get to that towards the end of the series. 29:15 The rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. You get that? Get this parents the biggest goal to discipline is instruction. That's what it is. It's instruction. And we as parents need to be talking through the whole event. We need to be hearing them and tell listen telling us in their own words that what they did was wrong. And we need to be convinced that they understand that what they did was wrong. And if they're not convinced, if they're not convinced that what they did was wrong, then the discipline was not effective. Are you guys with me? And if, we, if we're convinced they learned the lesson, they, hey, they got it, they learned the lesson, we talked about it, we walked through it, then we need to tell them that they are forgiven, and then we need to love them and follow up with lots of hugs and kisses. Affirm that we love them. Amen? So our kids need discipline. And I'm going to say this again. As I said before, we're not called to be their friends. We're called to be their parents. Amen? Verse 16, he who oppresses the poor to increase his wealth, and he who gives gifts to the rich, both come to poverty. So this is speaking of the person who has no compassion for those in need. And because of that, God's blessings will not be on the life and the on, on the life and the wealth of such a person. Got it? Say a good name. Say general guidance. Number three is good advice. Say that. Good, and Solomon's been giving us good advice, right? Great advice. Good advice through this whole book. And so in the remainder of the text are the sayings of the wise. Say the sayings of the wise. And from this point on in Solomon, in the next chapter, Solomon gives 30 wise sayings. Um you'll notice that the structure of of the wisdom sayings are are longer and are more arranged according uh, to some theme. So if you're ready, say yes. Here we go. Uh, Verses 17 through 21, starting with verse 17. Pay attention and listen to the sayings of the wise. You guys get that? This is what he says. Apply your heart. Say apply to what I teach. Verse 18, for it is pleasing when you keep them in your heart and have all of them ready on your lips. So there's ready to use. Verse 19, so that, you tru- that your trust may be in the Lord. I teach you today, even you. Verse 20, have I not written 30 sayings for you? And he'll start these 30 sayings. Down the line, we'll, you know, you'll see them as you go through the, through the Bible, through the Word. Sayings of counsel and knowledge. Verse 21, teaching you true and reliable words so that you can give sound answers to him who sent you. So what he's saying is godly counsel and the giving of knowledge is to encourage our trust in God and wisdom, right, makes us more dependent on God. And the key is this, and follow me here, the key is this. It requires a personal decision, say personal decision, to incline our ears and apply our heart to what's being said. And it's important to not just hear God's Word. This is what he's saying. It's not, listen now, It's, it's important to not just hear what he's saying, hear God's Word, but to obey it. Now, let me tell you, Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, if you come to Wednesday study, you're hearing God's Word. I mean, you're hearing God's Word. You're not hearing my opinion, some philosophy, okay? You're not hearing about current events. You're hearing God's Word, right? And and Sunday after Sunday, you are hearing God's Word, whether you're in person or online. And many of you will hear the Word and walk out and do nothing with it. Absolutely nothing with it. Some of you will hear God's Word And you apply what you hear to your life. And that's what Solomon's saying. I want you to, listen, whatever you've heard me say, the wisdom that I've given you, the insight that I've given you, don't just be a hearer of it, be a doer of it. Obey, obey the teachings that I've given you. Look at the text again. Teaching you true and reliable words so that you can give sound answers to him who sent you. In other words, God's word, his truth, are not meant to be learned and hidden, but applied and shared with others. Let me ask you this whatever you learn here, do you share it with others? Do you apply it to your life and do you share it with others? Well, I'll tell you right now if you apply it to your life, you'll eventually share it with others because someone will say, gosh, what's cool? You're different. Your life's awesome. It allows you to share it with others. Amen. Verses twenty-two to twenty-three: Do not exploit the poor because they are poor, and do not crush the needy in court. Verse twenty-three: For the Lord will make up their case and will plunder those who plunder them. In other words, God here—I love this. God is pictured here as a legal legal advocate for the poor. He cares for them. Right? We see this throughout the Book of Proverbs. God cares for the poor. He avenges them. He's their defender. And if God cares for the poor, we as believers need to care for the poor. Those who are legitimately poor. Amen? Verses 24-25, through do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one easily angered. Verse 25, or you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. (laughs) An angry person displays bad character. Say bad character. So don't hang around angry people. That's what Solomon's saying. Don't hang around angry people or you will become just like them. Their bad habits, their way of life will influence your life. It will lead to copying their behavior. And we know this 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty three, right? Right? We know this bad company corrupts good character. It does. So here's a lesson wisdom chooses friends carefully. You, you got to choose your friends carefully, friends. Amen. And if you if you if you got a friend who's who's angry, always angry, always angry, and you're hanging out with that person, and he's he or she is always angry, you will soon become angry just like them. Are you, are you with me? And some of you, you, you might have someone like that, cut them loose. Pray for them, but cut them loose because they will eventually influence your character and it won't be good. This is what Solomon's saying. Don't make friends with a hot-tempered man or woman. Do not associate with them. Did you get that? Verses 26 to 27, Do not be a man who shakes hands in pledge or puts up security for debts. Verse 27, if you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched from under you. He's saying be very, very careful about co-signing on a loan. That's what he's saying. And listen, listen, when, when you take out a loan, you can't pay. He's saying this, the creditor may demand your furniture, right, as a payment. So be very careful if you... Co-sign for somebody. Verse 28, do not move an ancient boundary stone set up by your forefathers. Now, I love this. And I believe I believe this is a reference to when Joshua divided the promised land for the people of Israel. Have you read that before? Land was given to, to Israel by God. And, 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 and to steal it from the rightful owner or to remove uh, the boundary markers, or to even extend extend your own boundaries at the expense of someone else was to violate their blessings from God. It was forbidden. Listen, we are to, and this is the point here, we are to never cheat or compromise in any business dealings, especially not in a sneaky or subtle way which would defraud any person of their property. Got it? Verse 29, we're almost done here. Verse 29. Do you see someone skilled in his work? He will serve before kings. He will not serve before obscure men. In other words, officials of low rank. In other words, skill results in advancement. Skill results in recognition. He will serve before kings. That means the person who works with excellence. Say excellence gives them great standing in the workplace, great standing in the ministry. In other words, they get a promotion to a higher service. That's what he's saying. Now what comes to mind, friends, is a parable of the talents. And and we all all know this, right? It's in Matthew chapter 25. And and you have this master who's going on a journey. And uh, what he does, he entrusted his property to his servants. And he gave one five talents, one two talents, and one one talent According to their ability. And the one with five talents, when he does, he puts his money to work and he gains five more talents. The one with two talents puts his money to work and he gains two talents. But the one with one talent, what did he do? He buried it, he didn't do nothing with it. And when the, when the master came back from his journey, this is what he said to the one with five talents and the one with two talents in Matthew 25 23. His Lord, his master said to them, Well done, good. And what? Faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. This is it. This is it. Here we go. I will make you ruler over many things. There it is. And he says, enter into the joy of the Lord. Did you get that? So question. What is the work, and, you, and get this, what is the work that God has given for you to do? Think about it. What is the work that God has given for you to do? And first of all, are you doing it? Well, I'm doing it. Good for you. Let me ask you, second of all, are you doing it with excellence? Excellence. Are you doing it with excellence? In the workplace, wherever you work, I don't know where that's at, but wherever you work, are you working with excellence? You've heard me say this many times, many, many times throughout this series, the hardest-working people should be Christians. And wherever your job, whatever you do in your job, are you doing it with excellence? Where they recognize your work ethic and you work hard and you do things right. Let me ask you this. In the ministry, whatever ministry you serve in here, if you're not serving, find a place to serve. But friends, in the ministry, wherever you're serving, are you working and are you serving with excellence? My mom and dad always taught me, Arnold. Whatever you do for God, do it with excellence. Excellence. Because God deserves the best. So here, as you serve here, or wherever you might be serving, are you serving with excellence? When people say, wow, they're giving their all, their best. Not approaching ministry or work, you know, just kind of casually, no, no, excited to come. We want to do our best, give our best to God because we need to honor God with our work. Honor God as we serve in ministry because we serve before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He says in verse 29, do you see someone skilled in his work? He will serve before kings. But we serve before kings the King of kings and Lord of lords. And I pray that you and I would serve with excellence so that when all is said and done, the Lord would say, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? Praise Him. He is worthy. Let's all stand.